All right, I uh, meant to grab, I keep grabbing the wrong thing. I might have a little trouble today because I'm a little tired and uh, whiny, and so if you hear me whining, just go on about your business, don't worry about it. All right. So anyway, good morning. It's Pentecost Sunday. Yeah. So yeah, a few thousand, a couple thousand years ago, believers were waiting on this day. Then the Holy Spirit showed up, and it's, the irony for me is, I did not write this message to be delivered today. I, I thought it would be delivered about three weeks ago, and I had a different plan. But God's plan is always better than my plan, I've learned. And so it's, we're going to be talking about some gifts of the Holy Spirit that some people may be a little bit uncomfortable with. So we're going to try and make it uh, as comfortable as possible, because I try and do that, but also as convicting as possible, because I also like that too. Sound good? You're like... You're like what are we going to do? I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. I just think of these, uh, these 120 believers that the Bible tells us about in Acts chapter 2, or the end of Acts chapter 1. And they come together, and they're praying and they're waiting for the promise of God. Praying and waiting for the promise of God. And I'm going to tell you, that is kind of the Christian life. Praying and waiting for the promise of God. And so they're praying and waiting for the promise of God. And on that day, which in the Jewish world was the Feast of um, festivals, um, it was a celebration of the day that they, the nation of Israel received the Torah, the law, from God on Mount Sinai. So it was already a celebration day, and so God in His infinite wisdom and His establishment of a new covenant through the body and sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus chooses this day, the day that the nation of Israel is gathering to celebrate the gift of God's law it, it turns out that God chooses that day to write God's law on the heart of every believer through the work of the Holy Spirit as prophesied by Ezekiel. And so the, the Jews were there to celebrate the law God had given, and the Holy Spirit came to write that law on the hearts of all believers on that day. And so today we're going to be looking at learning to share our spiritual gifts. We're going to be talking about the two that are probably the most discussed, debated, and, and whatever in, in, the, in Christendom, tongues and prophecy. I'm not going to get into the details of what these gifts are. What I'm going to get into is what their purpose is, what their function is in the body of Christ. And, and as I get into that, I, wanna, I want us all to remember that you and I, the kingdom of God, the believers that follow Christ, we're the only hope a lost world has of ever meeting God. And the Bible tells us that there are ways that you and I testify to the goodness of God. And that way is not that we're always right. That way is how we love each other. Again and again, Paul uses the example of how the body of Christ loves the body of Christ as an evangelism tool which is a, a little bit hard to wrap our head around, and very non-Christian since the 50s or so. And so, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 14, 24, and as I read this, I'm going to explain to you why this is important to me. 1 Corinthians 14, the Word of God says, Paul writes how the New Living Translation is the one I'm using, it says, if all of you are prophesying and believers and, and unbelievers are people who don't understand these things, come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. And as they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed, 
And they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring, God is truly here among you. Now, I want you to think about this passage, and I want you to think about, about, about Paul's teaching. There is a group of people that are going to gather with the church. He saw unbelievers and people who didn't get it, people who were outsiders, agnostics, atheists, people who were living in, in gross sin, uh, according to even scriptures. And, and they would come, and when they would come to the church, there would be something that would convince them that these people had found God. That something about the way these people loved each other, encouraged each other, worshipped God together, something about them would leave this unforgettable idea in their mouths. God is here. Something about these people, even if they weren't believers. And what was that thing? Was it a profound, deeply theological, rooted sermon? That's not, that's not in the text. Was it, was it a, a strong argument to convince people that they're sinners and that Jesus died for them? That part isn't even in the text. In fact, what Paul tells us, what he shows us is in the text is he talks about this thing called prophecy. Pursue love, be eager for the spiritual gifts, especially, especially that you may prophesy. So, here we have a verse that is in a set of chapters that makes people nervous. And in that verse, Paul reveals something that's incredibly powerful for the body of Christ. He calls it prophecy, but we don't know what it means. It scares us a little bit. We probably had some bad experiences with it. And, and so we are kind of, we kind of ignore it. We kind of dismiss it. We kind of don't deal with it. So today we're kind of going to deal with it. Okay. <laughs> Not scared, good deal. Not scared at all. Not scared at all. Don't be. Because here's the thing about spiritual gifts is they're all about God's love for you and through you. They're always going to be about God's love for you and through you. They're not scary. They're not weird. They're just from a different place. They're not from an intellectual or rational place on the horizontal kingdom. They're from an, an intellectual and a rational place in the heavenly kingdom, but not on this plane. And so, as we talk about it, Paul says, I mean, Je Jesus says, John records Jesus saying, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So here's, this is my opinion. I, I'm going to try and keep my opinion short today. Good luck with that. But uh, here's my opinion. I believe that what happened in the body of Christ since, uh, you know, the Catholic Church took over in the 300s is that somewhere along the way and, and, and amplified through the Reformation is that God was giving his body gifts. And some of those gifts were intellectual gifts. And some of them were financial gifts. And some of them were the, the miraculous manifestation gifts and I think what, what God meant to happen was for all those gifts to come together in one body. And he wanted the hands to be the hands and the, the eyes to be the eyes and the legs to be the legs. But what happened was they got together and all the hands said, you're not a hand. We're hands. All of us hands are going over here to form the hand church. And all of us legs are going to go form the leg church. All us eyes are going to form the, the eye church. And we are never, we're just going to be a body scattered all over the place, look like some kind of serial killer came through. That's what we're going to be. <clears throat> Birds of a feather flocking together does not always work for us. So here's the thing. 
If you are an intellectual and you love to dig into church history and deep theology and all that stuff, praise the Lord, you are part of the kingdom. We love you. We love your intellectualism and your rationalism. It's great. The church needs you. If you're one of those weirdos that goes out into the miraculous manifestation gifts and makes everybody else nervous, guess what? We love you too. We're all in this together. And we need the weirdos and the brains. Because the truth is, we're all weird. And we have no idea what we're doing without each other, you know? And so as we dig into this today, if, if we could be a church, and if we could be the kind of Christians that could make room for the intuitives, the people that kind of move in the supernatural easier and move into those uh, realms of, of the miraculous easier, and if we could make room for the intellectuals, those who like to dig deep and really think rationally about things, if we could bring those two wide streams together, I think we could be really powerful and we could really demonstrate because of the love of God for us and through us that we love each other even if we're not the same. Even if we're... Because if you think about it, one of the main things we judge people by is this, all, this incredible, amazingly powerful criteria. You are not like me, so you are weird. You don't do things... I, had a, I was in a... I was in an argument with someone that I was counseling one time, and they told me, they said, well, that's not how I would do it, so you're wrong. And I said, oh, that's very Christian. What fruit of the Spirit is that? No, I didn't say that, but that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I like to ask people what fruit of the Spirit they're demonstrating, but it doesn't always go well. So, let's jump into 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Let love be your highest goal. Hey, church. What's your highest goal? You passed. There you go. Today's pop quiz, and you aced it. You started the day with a win. Let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the spiritual abilities that the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Let me pause here for a second. This is the Apostle Paul, guys. That's the Apostle Paul. He's writing inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so... When you read something like this, don't just skip it because it's uncomfortable. And don't just assume that you know what it means because of your church background either. We'll talk about that in just a second. But read it and know that Paul says, hey, let love be your highest goal, but you should desire something. You should be seeking something. Christians should be seeking these spiritual abilities. They should be seeking something from heaven. And that's what this is really about. It's about getting the kingdom in heaven and what happens in the kingdom of heaven to the earth on which I live. It's about getting the ideas and the thoughts and the heart of God from there to here. So you should desire these special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will be mysterious. And then I'm going to jump down to verse 4. The one who speaks in, tongue, in a tongue builds himself up. So here's, here's my outline so you can cheat, get ahead. Supernatural courage, supernatural encouragement, and honoring one another. There you go. Fancy, it's not really that alliterated or anything, but that's what we're talking about today. And we start with courage from heaven. Let me ask you a question. Before I get into the text, 
Do you ever need stuff from God? Do you ever need stuff from God? Yes or no? All right. You need stuff from God. And here's Paul. Do you ever need strength from heaven? Would you ever like to have strength to get through, to do, to accomplish from heaven? So here's Paul saying, hey, here's this gift. It's called, we call it tongues. It's translated tongues in here. It just means languages. It's a gift of languages. Okay? If I didn't use the word tongues, people wouldn't get all weirded out about it. If I just say, it's the gift of languages, everyone's comfortable now. What's a gift of language? Well, Paul talks about in the text, 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about that all languages have a, have a meaning. He's talking about languages on earth. But he also talks about in the text, he talks about music, he talks about other things. And I was talking to Steve about this a couple weeks ago, and as I was working on this message, I realized there are all kinds of languages. There are emotional languages. Right? And you women are like, I wish my husband had one. I've been praying for him to get the gift of tongues. There are, music is a language. There are people who are gifted by God to to take lyrics or tunes or melodies and turn them into things that speak to people and that minister to people. And of course, there are foreign languages. All kinds of them on this planet. There's a gift of languages. And so here Paul comes along and says, hey, the one who speaks in this language, heavenly language, however you want to look at it, builds himself up. Builds. So here's a way that Paul's talking about to get courage, to get access to the throne room. And so I want you to think about the idea that here's a way that, God's, that Paul's teaching us that you can build you. Is that worth knowing? Is that worth thinking about? Even if you're uncomfortable with the spiritual gift of tongues, isn't it worth thinking about the idea of how can I receive from the throne room? Because Paul is telling us that this builds people up. You know, I grew up up in the cessationist circles, really. That, That means they believed that basically prophecy and tongues had ceased. Everything else was around, but those two were uncomfortable for us, so we didn't believe in them. And that's usually where most people are. If something's outside your experience, you struggle with believing it. And, and, and I get it. But I also know that the whole foundation here is love. And so what I would do to justify my belief was I would find someone who practiced the gift that made me nervous. And hopefully they were very sinful. That's what I really wanted was someone who was sinful. At least by my standard. And then they would practice the gift and I would go, see, that's just the flesh because they're not worthy to have a grace gift from God. Because you have to be worthy to have a spiritual gift, right? Where does that thinking come from? It doesn't come, it doesn't come from the day of Pentecost. It doesn't come from the, gift of, the grace gift of God's Holy Spirit. That actually comes from the Torah, the Old Covenant. That comes from the, the thing that the, the Israelites were celebrating before the Holy Spirit fell. And so, and I got, a, I, got a, I got a few Pentecostal friends that God puts in my life and has put them in my life to torment me. Uh, I mean, because they love me. And it was Kerry Cobb who came to me one time. We were talking about the gift of tongues. And he gave me this passage. I'm going to read it to you because it really slapped me in the face. <laughs> he said, no one can, 
No one can tame the tongue. No one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father. Sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. So he read that to me and he said, listen, why do you think your words are so great? And the guy who's speaking in tongues are so bad. Because here's a place that tells us that our tongue isn't that great to start with. So my point isn't to teach you about the gift of tongues even. My point is, is that there is a spiritual gift that connects you with the throne room. Paul even says in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I wish you all spoke in tongues. He, he says that. But then he goes on to say, but more so that you may prophesy. But we're getting to that part. He says, but I wish you all did. Why? Because I wish you were getting your courage from the eternal rather than from these circumstances around you that can flip in just a second. I wish you were getting your courage from a sable place than from this land of shifting sands and changing circumstances and shadows and darkness. Does that make, does that make any sense? Does that help you a little bit? Because what I want, my goal with this series is this. That guy prays in tongues, whatever they do, that person studies the word, they're deep into church history, they are both trying to do the same thing. Connect with Father God. They're trying to receive from heaven's throne room. Does that make sense? I mean, as I was working through my issues with the gift of tongues, one of the thoughts that God gave to me is this. He says, people will go to a football game or a basketball game or a concert and they will just act all crazy. And that's okay. But you put someone who's trying to connect with God and they act a little bit out of place and it freaks everyone out. Something's wrong there, Michael. And it, there always is, because the kingdom of heaven is always going to be judged by the kingdom of darkness' standard. Right? So, if you need supernatural courage, this is something worthy investing, investigating. And this verse might make you feel more comfortable. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Amen? The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. I'm telling you, there's, I don't know if you've had it yet in your life, but you are going to hit a patch where you need something that you can't get here. You're going to hit a patch that you need something from heaven because earth doesn't have it in stock. And when that day comes, you're going to know what Romans 8.26 means. And whether, regardless of what you call it, you will connect with heaven. The Spirit will groan. And you will receive. You may not receive the answer you wanted, but you will definitely receive the God you desperately need. Does that make sense? So, courage. So we need supernatural courage. We need to look at things from the idea of supernatural courage. So, brothers and sisters... Be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. And I also want to share Hebrews 4.16. Let's come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. Guys, there is a, a, there's a place in the Bible that talks about this spirit praying, spirit connecting with God 
This gift that has been called tongues, it's simply a gift of languages. It's powerful. It's much more broad than a prayer language that you might practice. It's much more to it than even a word you might give in church that might need to be interpreted by someone else. It's just, it's a very big thing. All the spiritual gifts are like this. We have narrowed them down to what we have seen and what we've had a taste of. But you have to remember, God can do anything. Uh, He made the rules, and he knows how they work way better than I do. And so I started this series by saying we we have to be Bible-fed and Spirit-led. And this is one of those texts that no matter how you might struggle with it or be blessed by it, you have to anchor in the Word and let the Word of God bring you to Jesus and let His Spirit lead you closer to the Father. And so... I see here supernatural courage. And then we'll move into prophecy, which is where um, I'm a lot more comfortable because <laughs> of my Baptist upbringing. But in, in 1 Corinthians 14, the Word of God says this, Let love be your highest goal. I'm going to just keep reading it until I've get the, got that one down, so bear with me there. But you should also desire the spiritual abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For the one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. Let's pause. So this spiritual gift of prophecy, Paul says it strengthens, encourages, and comforts. And I bet that if you have had an experience with someone saying, thus saith the Lord, or prophesying over you, that it didn't have those three things in it. I I would bet that. I would bet it had some correction, I bet it would have some manipulation in it. Do what I say. And so what I want you to see is what Paul's talking about here does three things. It strengthens, it encourages, and it comforts. If it doesn't do those three things, it's not what Paul's talking about. You got it? Does that help you calm down? Preacher, you're making me nervous today. The one who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but the one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Paul's all about building the body of Christ. And that's what we see in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and in Romans 12. He's talking about the body of Christ becoming better connected with itself, being better connected horizontally on the planet Earth, operating as Jesus would operate, were he walking in the flesh among us, but he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to be limited in that way anymore because he has us, the body of Christ, to do what Jesus would do, to represent Jesus on earth. But Paul says, Paul knows, because he also struggles, that in this world, there's suffering. Things go wrong. You're hurting. And, and, and you don't know what to do about it. I mean, it, it's one thing when you have a problem and you can sit down and make a plan and, and work your way through the problem. That's always how I've done things. I have a problem, sit down and make a plan, then I start to work the plan, and I feel better. Well, sometimes life just blows everything up. And there's no paper to write a plan on. And you can't even think clearly enough to write a plan anyway. Because you're hurting that bad, badly. And so, what do you do? And so Paul says, we are supposed to build each other up. And he talks about this thing called prophecy. Now, when I say prophet, all kinds of ideas might come to mind. Of course, my first thought is the Old Testament prophets. I see those skinny, bug-eating prophets from the Old Testament, you know? (laughs) 
They're wearing leather, but they don't have motorcycles yet. <laughs> Sorry. They're thin, they're skinny, they've got scraggly beards, and they're pointing their long, crooked, gnarly finger. That's how I see it, I'm telling you. At a king, or a prince, or a priest, it's someone on a national level, someone that's leading people, and they're saying, thus saith the Lord, and, and it's usually corrective. Now, it's not always corrective. I'm here to tell you there are plenty of prophecies to people in the Old Testament that were pursuing God and they were receiving positive, strengthening prophecies. But when you say prophet, that's not what I think of. I don't think about that guy in the book of Isaiah who told his family not to, not to drink and not to, not to live in houses, but to always live in tents and be ready to move in a, in a moment's notice. And Jeremiah, not Isaiah, Jeremiah brags on him before God through a prophecy. I don't think of that one. I think of Elijah standing before Ahab and 400 prophets screaming as they die behind him. That's what I think of. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. Jesus said so. Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, but that he would be the least in the kingdom of God. Jesus coming and dying on a cross changed everything. Him raising from the dead changed us from an old covenant that was pain and agony and sorrow and sadness and shame and darkness and thunder and lightning to a new covenant, according to 1 Corinthians 4, that is ever-increasing glory. It just, the new covenant gets better and better. That's why if you're, if, if you're struggling with, well, are the gifts still around, you've got to remember, the new covenant gets better and better. So if the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, He didn't fade away, He juiced up. Had to, because that's what the New Covenant does. Does that make sense? So when we talk about New Testament prophecy, we see a whole different occasion in the, in the New Testament. First of all, in the Old Testament, they're, they're under what I would call, and Graham Cook calls, a visitational uh, relationship with the Holy Spirit, which means that Holy Spirit would show up, give him a word, and then the Holy Spirit would take off. He would visit. But that's not the case with New Testament believers. The Bible says in Acts 2.17, which is a quotation from Joel. So, and, and Peter's telling us in Acts 2 that what people are seeing is what Joel said was going to happen. And so the Holy Spirit's fallen, people are speaking in languages, people are coming to Christ. In the last days, Peter preaches, God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In fact, the, the experience of the Holy Spirit is so significant to New Testament believers that it, you actually are commanded by Paul in his letters to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Go out and do this. Be filled. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting to me that he would put those two ideas in the same verse, especially when you consider Acts 2, and they were accused of being drunks on that day. Very interesting. Michael, what do you think about that? I want you to think about that. I know what I think about it, but we all have to think about it. But in the New Testament, things work differently. We see New Testament prophets prophesying more to individuals. We see Agabus come at Paul with a prophecy, and he, he takes Paul's girdle, you know, something to hold his shorts up, and he wraps his hands in and says, whoever owns this girdle is, uh, is going to jail. 
And Paul, you say, well, that doesn't sound very encouraging. It was very encouraging because Paul already had that word from God. And Agabus confirmed his mission. He knew what was going to happen. Now, the funny thing is, is that Paul rejected Agabus' counsel. Because as soon as Agabus said that, all the church gathered, oh, do not go to Jerusalem. Just like Peter did to Jesus. Don't go do it. So Agabus' word became, was an encouragement to Paul, but he did not take the counsel of those around him because he knew what he was called to do. So New Testament prophecy works a little bit different. It's not the thus saith the Lord authoritative stuff that we catch from the Old Testament. It's actually more according to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Now we see through a glass darkly. We're learning the ways of the Holy Spirit. We're learning, and we're learning God's language, God's voice, and how he speaks to us. And so sometimes, it's, it's funny to me, I was in a, a prayer meeting not too long ago, and we were praying over this couple, and I was, uh, <clears throat> I got this picture in my head, so I prayed it. Because I'm at that point now, if I get it, we're just going to step out into stupid and see what happens, you know. So I did, I prayed it. And you know what, it was really general, I can't remember what it was, it was so general I can't remember it. But to them, actually as I was praying, it wasn't even to them, there was a guy over here that as I prayed what I saw, what God gave me as I'm praying for this couple, this guy over here just blew up and, and broken in tears and just, it was actually for him. I thought it was for somebody else, but it was for him. And so the point is, is that the Bible tells us in Thessalonians, it says don't scoff at prophecies. Don't scoff at prophecies, but test everything that's said and hold on to what is good. So what this means is Paul's talking about you go to heaven seeking the gift of prophecy, which basically what you're doing is you're asking for heaven to speak, to give you something for whoever you're praying for, or maybe even for you. You're, just, you're saying, Father, I need what you have for them. And, and Father's got so much for them. You know that, right? I mean, there isn't a soul on this planet God doesn't want to just bless right into heaven. And so you go and you pray for them, and, and God begins to give you stuff, whether it's pictures or words or you just have an idea, and you step out, and, and what you're supposed to do with that, when someone does that for you, the Bible says you're supposed to ask, is this for me? Is this for me? It may not be. It may not be. You know what else? I've learned it may not be for now. I, I had a word a couple months ago prayed over me, and I'm like, oh, I want to do that, God, but I can't right now. But you know the great thing about God? God does not have to have this service done at the same time that we do. He is not worried about the time. He, he does things in his own time. It seems like to me he's just moseying right along, but in his economy, it's all perfect. All perfect. I'm panicking, and he's got it all under control. I don't know that I'll ever stop panicking, but he's got it all under control. My, my point is this. I'm looking at prophecy as a supernatural encouragement. It's another, it's a, it's a gift that is from heaven to earth. That's what the body of Christ needs. I can sit here and tell you you've done a great job all day long, I can encourage Steve, Steve, that, that worship set was amazing, the team did great, and all that stuff is nice, and it's affirming, and it's good, and it's healthy, and yes, we should do that. 
But that's not prophecy. That's affirmation. That's a lot of things. Prophecy is when I go and I, to use Stephen's example, I go and I pray and I ask the Father, Father, what, what does Steve need today? From you, not from me. He needs bread from heaven, not repeated bad jokes from Michael. He needs something from you. And then I have a thought, idea, a picture, a scripture, a song. Or maybe I just know I need to hug Steve today. See what I'm saying? Say, Michael, I'm not sure that's what prophecy is. Oh, it can be a lot more than that. It can be smaller than that. But don't limit it to the leather-wearing, bug-eating, gnarled finger guy that says, thus saith the Lord. In fact, that guy you need to watch out for because if he doesn't strengthen, encourage, and comfort, he's not actually giving you the prophetic. He's probably giving you his own judgment. Does that make sense? Michael, I'm a little nervous about this stuff. I get it. Boy, do I get it. Because when you begin to think about some of these things, it opens up possibilities. It opens up possibilities for encouragement and strength. And you know what happens when we have possibilities? They usually frighten us. Freedom can be terrifying. What if I get it wrong? You know, the beauty of the church is that its very foundation is grace. It, everything about it is built on love and grace. Have I had people try and encourage me and accomplish the opposite? Yes. Yes, I have. What do you do when that happens? You remember that Paul wrote that you evaluate all the prophecies. You, you let go of all that's harmful and bad, and you take what is good. It's a lot like eating fish, isn't it? Michael, where do, where do we go with this? Let me close up with this. <laughs> Tongues and prophecy, they're not terrifying. They're not frightening. Don't, don't hold someone at arm's length because you're not comfortable with how they practice their faith. Rather, take time to talk to God with how they do that. And you guys who are totally comfortable with these terms, let God expand you. Let God expand you. Tongues is a lot more in a prayer language. It's a lot more in a word in the church, guys. In fact, I, I, uh, I think a lot of people on the worship teams are probably gifted in tongues. Steve's probably gifted in it on the, through his fingers. It's a lot of ways that it can be expressed, and a lot of ways all the gifts can be. Here's the thing, though, you have to remember. This is all founded in love. The church's very atmosphere is grace. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 22, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together so that extra honor and care, extra honor and care, are given to those parts that have less dignity. Let me wrap a bow around that with Romans 12.10. Love each other with genuine affection and take Delight in honoring each other. This is how the church works. It works in an atmosphere of honor. Now, I said a while ago, 
We typically judge people by that golden standard. Are they like me? Well, that's not the standard. That's not the standard. I'll tell you what's the standard. What is that person worth as defined by God? And I will tell you what they're worth. They're worth the life, death, condemnation, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You would never talk to a human being who is not worth that. Does that make sense? So, God wants us to honor each other. He doesn't want us to just honor each other. Paul says, take delight in honoring each other. When you delight in something, what do you do? You're like looking for a chance. Guys who delight in golf, where are you going to see them on a sunny day like this? After church. They're going to be whacking that little dimpled ball somewhere, all right, and looking for it and breaking their club. But they'll be delighting in all of that. If you like pizza, you're going to be ordering from Domino's tonight. You're going to look for an excuse to delight in something. And so here's these gifts. Understand that as Paul's talking about the, using the spiritual gifts in the body of Christ, he, he expects that to happen in an environment of love and grace and honor. And so when I honor you, I may not like your behavior, I may not like the different things about you, but when I honor you, I am just recognizing that you have God-given uniqueness. You have God-given gifts and compositions. I'm acknowledging that you are a free, reborn son or daughter of God the Father, and that you yourself are a gift from God to me, as the body of Christ. That's what I do when I honor. And so when I honor you, I, I recognize you as that. I share my gifts, whatever my spiritual gifts are, whatever my natural gifts are, whatever gifts I have, I want to share them with you. You don't have to be like me for that to work. In fact, in fact the more you don't have to be like me for that system of honor to work, the stronger the body of Christ will be. And then maybe one day, the hand church and the foot church, the leg church and the eye church, and the arm church will all come together and become the Jesus church. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Father, we want people to be able to say that God is truly here among us. We have missions and we have purposes that we believe have come from you, and we want to honor those. But Lord, this body needs built up from the Holy Spirit. And I pray for a, a culture to develop that's not one of worry and fear, but that's one of, how can I bless you? How can I give you something from God personally, one-on-one? -on -one? How can I lift you up and hold you right now? I pray for this supernatural courage and supernatural encouragement to thrive in a place where every soul is honored, not based on their accomplishments, behavior, or appearance, but based on God's value for them. Lord, help us to be a Jesus church, not just a hand church or an eye church, but a Jesus church. In Jesus' name.